for All Fridays on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Here's your host, Amanda Galbraith. Hello, hello, everyone. Happy Friday. I'm Amanda Galbraith, a host of the Free for All Friday Roundtable, where we talk about some of the biggest, hottest, you know, most interesting stories of the week with a panel of experts from across the country. Uh, today we have Al Faraby, who's the morning show host on CFAX 1070 in Victoria, B.C., and Rob Benzie, he's the Queen's Park Bureau Chief for the Toronto Star and an extraordinary man at breaking all kinds of news. Al and Rob, thank you both for coming on the show today. Pleasure to be here. Um, now, we've got a full-stack show of lots of, I think, meaty political uh, debates, and this first one... Um, I think sort of rocked the U.S. and and a lot of the world, frankly. Um, So in a stunning leak of a Supreme Court draft opinion that struck down the landmark Roe versus Wade decision on abortion rights, it made headlines around the world. And as in often the case here in Canada, right, stuff that makes news in the States, it seizes a political agenda here. Um, And obviously for context, abortion has been legal in Canada for 30 years. um, But a lot of the debate this week has actually talked about the accessibility of it, which it remains so for a lot of women. Um, here are some examples. Um, there are still a lot of medically unnecessary rules on the books to get access to it. Um, there is not universal cost coverage in Nunavut. In New Brunswick and Nova Scotia, they still refuse to cover the cost of an abortion outside of hospitals. Um, interestingly, the Liberals got in a bit of a dust-up about this a couple years ago, and they've held back 140k of health transfers because of this. So basically that means if you go to a private clinic, like you can do in other places in the, in the country, um, that won't be covered, but it will if you go to the hospital. And the flip side is only one in six Canadian cost hospitals actually cover this. So I think there's lots of reason to have this debate in the country because of the lack of access, um, because women are still driving hundreds of kilometers, sometimes taking three-day trips to access abortion. Um, but a lot of folks have been saying this is settled law here in Canada. Like, why are we discussing it? This is just a U.S. issue. You know, why bring it over here? And I would say to them, please go back and watch any of the uh, the testimony from the recently appointed Supreme Court justices, all of whom said this was settled law until it wasn't. And the prime minister seems to think that we need to wade into this in some way, probably for political reasons, but I also think hopefully for the right ones. Here's Prime Minister Trudeau talking about this. To look at the legal framework that exists uh, around reproductive health and services like abortion to ensure uh, that uh, we uh, move forward as necessary on ensuring uh, that not just under this government, but under any future government, uh, the rights of women are properly protected. So that's Prime Minister Trudeau saying his government will look at using legislation to ensure a woman's right to safe and legal abortion is protected in Canada. Now, during the election, the Liberals promised to introduce regulations under the Canada Health Act uh, to do just that. And they have yet to do so, (laughs) which is no surprise. Now, here's NDP leader Jagmeet Singh saying the government should also look to make access to birth control, including the morning after pill, free. Having that concrete step in the spirit of our agreement, which is to move forward on pharmacare, would be a concrete way to send a clear message that we believe in expanding access, that we're not just going to focus on a right without making sure people have access to that right. So, Rob, to you first, um, you know, and we haven't even gotten into the conservative, uh, you know, leadership debate stuff, which I want to get into in this segment as well, but I wanted to get quickly to the question. Um, Do you think we need to codify further into Canadian law, like in rights to access abortion, or are we just allowing kind of American politics to overtake us here in Canada? I think there's a little bit of both, Amanda. I mean, when this Roe v. Wade leaked to Politico broke the other night, it became front page news around the world, including in Canada. 
And on the first day of the Ontario election campaign, we asked Doug Ford, the conservative leader, uh, about about the ruling. And he said, and, and I thought he said uh, summed it up pretty uh, succinctly. He said, the U.S. Supreme Court has absolutely zero jurisdiction in Canada. We're not changing anything in Ontario. We're, keep, we're just keeping it exactly the same. And that's in part because that's what most Canadians and certainly most Ontarians want. Uh, they most people are pro-choice, or they are, or they're, or they're in, and and certainly it's a mainstream position in this country. Uh, as you said, we've had uh, an abortion law on the books since it was settled in uh, in um, the Morgenthaler case in 1988. Uh, but abortion has been legal was legal before that, or was it was commonplace before that? Canada has very liberal abortion laws compared to most of the United States, uh, uh, even states like California and places like that. So I think, but I think access for women is still a big issue in certain parts of the, the country, New Brunswick and, and other places. Uh, it's, it's not as available and it should be funded. It's a, it's a health service. And we, especially coming out of a pandemic when, when we were talking a lot about choice and freedom of, of, of people to have some uh, choice over their own bodies, it is astounding to me that this is, that in the United States, they're going backwards. This is settled law for almost half a century. And I, I was as appalled as most uh, Canadians were when I saw that, uh, that you know, that provisional uh, ruling. Al, um, where's, what's your take? Do you think we need to, you know, add further restrictions, like further regulations in the Canada Health Act? Should we be leaning into access or are we getting a little bit swept up in what's happening south of the border? Well, we got a, a lot of uh, traction on this in, in uh, B.C. this week. I mean, there was a, a question at the B.C. legislature to B.C. Finance Minister Selena Robinson, and her reaction got uh, a lot of reaction. She basically said the, the answer to the question about this story was any change in access to abortion in the province of B.C. would be, quote, over her dead body unquote and that was with that was with intent that was she she very uh tactfully said something like that and and it got lots of traction our our local mla grace lore uh was basically saying the same thing she said abortion is a profoundly personal choice that should not be decided by anyone beyond the person who is pregnant so uh the bc government went out straight away and uh, gave people i think really it was for reassurance more than anything else that they weren't going to change their plan on anything and that was that was an important message i think for for them to to send out at that particular point even to the point where premier john horgan uh, responded by uh, tweeting some of those same comments and i think it's it's interesting you both point out that you see elected officials we see doug premier doug ford in ontario here um we saw to your point premier horgan and, and elected officials in bc kind of come out and reassure the canadian public that no this is not changing no we have no intent to do this and yet on the we see the conservatives federally at the very least um because doug ford is a, a provincial conservative leader um sort of be told they're not to speak on this We've had a couple of folks break rank on that, Michelle Rempel being kind of the one of the most notable ones. And then a pretty heated debate last night at the um, at the conservative sort of leader, the initial not official, but the initial conservative leadership debate. So maybe, Rob, what do you how do you think this is going to impact the conservative leadership race? And do you think they just sound like to me, they like the whole thing sounds completely out of touch with with most Canadians. And I, I I'm I am a conservative and I. This is a part of my party that I find deeply disappointing, but curious on your take as a political observer, where you think this is going to go? Yeah, and I'm agnostic politically, uh, Amanda, but I, I agree that I think this is just so out of step with what 
most people want. And I was actually surprised last night watching that debate. Uh, uh, Leslyn Lewis, who is the who is you know the, the social conservative candidate, and she is anti-abortion. She doesn't make any any bones about that. She was trying to smoke out Pierre Polyev, who's the front runner, who I gather is pro-choice. Um, I'm t- I'm told he is. I have friends who are working on his campaign, and they assure me that he is. And 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 that you know he's in the mainstream. You would think he would have wanted to tout that, but he kind of danced and dodged a little bit, I thought, last night, which I, I, I didn't really understand unless he was just playing to the room or he didn't want to uh, scare off any social conservatives that he might need down the ballot or something. But I think for the Conservative Party of Canada, this is a, this is a dreadful issue because the Liberals rehash it every time in every election. It hurt Andrew Scheer in 2019. They tried to use it uh, against Aaron O'Toole last year. It didn't quite have the same success, although they still won the election or they won the most seats. They didn't win the popular vote. But here in Ontario, which of course is the, the, you know, the health services are delivered at the provincial level, uh, the Conservatives, there are one or two uh, Tory MPPs who are uh, so-called pro-life, but there were a few more and they're not in the caucus anymore. Uh, Christina Midas and, and Rick Nichols, they left uh, the party. They didn't want to get vaccinated. Uh, Christina isn't running again, and Rick is running as a as a as a independent in Chatham. So uh, th- there isn't a big welcome mat for Silcons in the 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 governing Progressive Conservative Party in, in Ontario, and I think that's because they don't see the political advantage to that. So this is why I don't understand why the why the the federal Tories keep dying on this hill. It's almost like, you know, the rake in the cartoon that this, you Just, step on the rake and it smashes you on the head. And this is what they yeah, do with abortion. This is exactly what they do with abortion and they'll probably continue to do it. Uh, lineups at airports and passport offices are making news across the country. Did the government drop the ball? That's next on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Welcome back to the show. I'm Amanda Galbraith, host of Free For All Friday, where we unpack some of the biggest stories of the week with some um, amazing panel that changes every week, but they always have great takes. And today we have Al Farabee, morning show host on CFAX 1070, coming to us all the way from Victoria, B.C., and Robert Benzie, Queen's Park Bureau Chief at the Toronto Star here in the great city of Toronto. Uh, this is a story that has been making news across the country, and you'd think that the Canadian travel sector would be jumping for joy. You know, at a post-COVID economy, we're all signed up to go. I've got a tri- trip booked to France in June. Um, you know, raring to find new travel, but in fact, they're not. Uh, and it's it's been nothing but headaches for a lot of travelers, as we could be seen. And the organization that runs Canada's biggest airport, Toronto Pearson International, is calling on the federal government to help alleviate major delays we've seen. So the GTAA uh, says Ottawa needs to make more investments to boost staffing and bring more technology at Canada's busiest airport. Here's Craig Bradbrook, their chief operating officer. It's really a situation... Um, that is difficult today and it's going to become unsustainable because in the summer we're predicting around 45,000 international arrival passengers a day. And for context, the airport historically has handled far more than that, right? But what's different now is new public health requirements, um, random testing upon arrival issues like that. So the airport said departing passengers could face delays at the pre-board security screening, which is run by the Canadian CATSA, basically Canadian Air Transportation Security Authority, which is a crown agency, who say they're experiencing staffing issues, and those are allegedly currently being addressed by the federal government. They need to really try and uh, fix that, and and I think they are working on that, and, and we've received assurances that everything is being done. 
Transportation minister seeing news coverage across the country of lineups and all the mad people in the airports um, has said he's trying to reassure the public that the government is working on this. Other than adding resources, can we streamline certain processes? Can we cut some challenges or obstacles that could help us expedite this? And this isn't the only place if you're looking to get out of the country, like many of us are, who've been stuck here for years now because of COVID, uh, that you're getting delays. Also, the government has problems with passport approvals and passport applications. In Vancouver, some a- applicants actually brought sleeping bags and camped overnight. Getting here at 6.15 and still seeing a line is pretty concerning. My legs is uh, very sore already standing up here. Trying my luck the third time. So there are people who are waiting days, like literally days to get this done. It's gotten so bad that in recent days, advertisements for quote unquote, I'm not joking, freelance line standers have started appearing and people can charge anywhere from 17 to $15 an hour to hire someone to stand in line at Service Canada. Um, now, the government has said that they're working to speed up the process of getting you a passport, including they've added extra staff at client counters. But bottom line is... The government seems way behind the eight ball on getting stuff done, getting things approved. It's acutely felt at airports who used to handle significantly greater volumes, but now still have to deal with what they call kind of legacy COVID health requirements. So that's random testing when people arrive. That's keeping them there um, in certain areas to hold before. So I guess my question to you first, Al, uh, you know, did the government screw this up? Should they have anticipated this or is this just kind of post COVID shaking off the cobwebs? It's kind of a, a perfect storm of everything. Yeah, I think, I mean, we sort of figured that, uh, you know, once uh, some travel restrictions were lifted and uh, people just wanted to to get out of get out of town, get out of the country, that uh, people would be ready. The travel industry was, they were all excited about it. But I mean, we just did a piece with uh, with the, the staff at Victoria International Airport, which is not one of the biggest airports in Canada. It's busy, but it's not like Toronto or Vancouver. And usually something that takes 30 to 60 minutes, now they're basically telling travelers, you should arrive 90 to two hours ahead for flights out of Victoria, which are usually like connector flights to Vancouver or Seattle, for example. But it's it's happening everywhere, even here. So you have to be prepared for what that is. And you mentioned passports, too. That's happening in this city, too. People are coming from, they have to come from Down Island, for example, to get their passport renewed. And they're getting denied because at the end of the day, they aren't getting service. So it's it's a frustrating thing uh, here in our city and right across this country. No easy fix. One of them, yeah, more staff, but they, even that's not the quickest fix in the world. Yeah, Rob, um, this looks like, uh, like to me, like a big giant political headache. And it's it's interesting to me watching like the airports, which as people would know are federally, like they're owned by the federal government. They don't usually go out and, and say, hey, this is a big problem. Um, but like this GTA put out a statement basically saying, you know, airports have been ringing the alarm bells about lack of investment in the sector because of COVID stuff was deferred, which like, fair enough. You know, we have staffing and labor shortages, but the lineups um, and the frustration uh, is, is seems to be way beyond what I would expect at this point. So like Rob, you've watched a lot of governments. Do you think they're going to, they're going to be more action or they're going to step in further to fix this? Amanda, they're going to have to, because the passport, let's talk about passport applications. There are, there are two and a half many, two and a half times as many people applying for passports now as there were a year ago, because guess what? After the pandemic or as the pandemic uh, begins to, to, to wind down, hopefully, uh, people want to travel. I walk along College Street from my house to Queen's Park uh, every morning, and there are huge lineups outside of the Service Canada 
uh, uh, office hours before it opens. So people are waiting like it's concert tickets or something like that. And that's to get uh, to get a, to get a passport application yeah. done. Why a lot more of this stuff can't be done online or with or digitally is beyond me. But anyway, you still I guess it's for security reasons and other and other things. I know my son is is seventeen. He waited. Uh, his passport was expiring and we were going away and I wasn't going to do it. So he's got time more time in his hands. So he went and waited and he was lucky. He only waited two and a half hours uh, and, and got his passport renewed, but it's, it's, it's frustrating for folks. And yeah, when you see people paying, you know, $50 an hour so that you can have someone wait in line for you, I guess people are, are being uh, entrepreneurial and, and good for them, but that's not a good look for, for, for government. I mean, we, we can and should be doing better. And in the situation at airports, I mean, that's how, how we couldn't have foreseen this happening as people wanted to move around and travel after two years of being landlocked is beyond me. Oh, I'm back. <laughs> there you are. You can hear me? Oh, sorry. I, there. You took, sorry, I cut you, out you for a second. Your trip. We thought we thought you'd already left I, France, <laughs> I did. No, I'm sorry. It literally connection. This is live radio, folks. The connection dropped, and then I'm like, I sometimes people step in, so I was like, I didn't want to just charge into the discussion. But yeah, sure. I mean, it's good news. Your son has time on his hands. Um, I did want to ask <laughs> you both. So one of the things that the airports are calling for is, for example, when people arrive, um, there's still random testing for COVID. Um, and a lot of jurisdictions in the world have gotten rid of that because uh, that's a hold up. People have to wait. They have to get the stuff. They have to get tested. Those are areas that normal people are moving through or being. So that cascades and people being held on planes and that kind of thing. Um, they're suggesting, for example, we could do wastewater monitoring. Are you do you think are you comfortable with us relaxing or getting rid of that? Those restrictions, given the way the world is moving now Al. I think we have to kind of move in that direction just based on what we're seeing right now. There has to be some sort of efficient way of doing things like our airport, for example. They they just what was the figure? They said fifty eight hundred passengers passed through their doors, which is about just 200 shy of pre pandemic levels. So we're basically there as far as numbers of, of pre pandemic for traveling. If that's at Victoria Airport, that's got to be at many others, too. So so there has to be some sort of game plan to move things along quicker. Rob, do you are you comfortable with dropping the 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 random testing that I frankly think is relatively useless, but maybe you feel differently? No, Amanda, I think I think that that time has come and gone. I mean, here in Ontario, 90% of people have had at least one vaccine. Uh, most people getting on a plane have to be vaccinated to get here. Um, if you want to travel in, within Canada, you have to be vaccinated. Uh, I, at a certain point, that is going to be lifted. It's another layer of bureaucracy that we probably don't need. I don't, I'm not going to say the pandemic is over because I don't know when, if and when it will be over. But I think the... The, the panic uh, time of the pandemic is probably over. So we need to, we need to start living with this more and, and understanding that this is now a part of our reality. Uh, and a random test for that is, I mean, it's like testing someone to see if they've, if they've got a, a, a cold or the flu when they land. You know what I mean? It just doesn't seem as, 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 as that, that important anymore. Here, here. All right. Well, if you hear, if you're listening, government, um, I fly out on the 11th of June. So you have about a month to fix this. <laughs> before I get into the airports. I hope that is that is dealt with. And I hope wherever you, Rob, and your son are going, it's dealt with before that happens too. The federal NDP have an interesting proposal that could change the way we elect political parties. 
and maybe even make it easier for them to get elected. Is that fair? That's next on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. The Free For All Friday Roundtable continues on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Welcome back to the show. I'm Amanda Galbraith. I get to host Free For All Friday every Friday when we debate some of the biggest stories of the week. And certainly this next one caught my attention. So I'm looking forward to getting the takes of Al Farabee, who's the morning show host on CFAX 1070 in Victoria, B.C., and Rob Benzi, Queen's Park Bureau Chief for the Toronto Star. So the House of Commons debated lowering the voting age in Canada from 18 to 16 years of age on Wednesday. This was because an NDP MP introduced a bill in December asking to amend the Elections Canada Act. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh says lowering the voting age in Canada would strengthen democracy. We believe it'll be uh, a step to strengthen democracy, democracy to encourage more participation. And we've seen great evidence that that's what happens. Uh, Young people uh, at the age of 16 participate in society. They work, they pay their taxes. They are able to drive, they're able to get married, and they should be able to vote. He also provided another argument why he thinks it's a good idea. Young people are more than ever going to be impacted disproportionately by the decisions we make today. And some of those decisions include, of course, the climate crisis, which will most directly impact young people. And so they should have a say in what happens. Now, I used to be like agnostic to slightly opposed to this. I felt like 18 is fine. Um, It's a good age. But I thought a little bit more about it and kind of reading up on this. And I mean, you can be, here's stuff, you you can be charged with a crime in Canada before the age of 18, but you can't vote. You can work and pay income taxes before the age of 18, but you can't have a say in how those taxes are spent. So I actually think it makes sense to do this. Um, And in theory, you know, and there's other places in the world where this is being argued. I'd say the majority of the world for my research the voting age is 18, but there are countries who have gone down to the age of 16 of age. So Austria, Scotland, um, Nicaragua, maybe not the greatest democratic place, but regardless, <laughs> Cuba, Ecuador, Brazil, um, Switzerland and Germany. Some states have lowered it. Um, so there you go. Uh, and, and countries who are 17 include Indonesia and Greece and some other places, which frankly, voting doesn't really I mean it counts, but it doesn't count. So I'm not going to list them. Um, but just curious uh, to you. Uh, maybe I'll go to you first, Rob. Um, are you like are you pro lowering the voting age to 16 or do you think that, you know, these young kids don't know, like don't know enough about their voting stuff. So they need to wait a little bit longer before they can have the power to elect elected officials. You know what, Amanda, like you intellectually, I don't have a problem with if you're old enough to drive, old enough to get married, old enough to get charged with a crime, you should be old enough to vote. Um, I'm not sure that if it will have the intended effect that sometimes uh, some politicians who push these initiatives uh, feel uh, the voting age in Canada used to be 21 and it was lowered to 18 in 1970. And that was the same year that it happened. It was lowered to 18 in the United States. And one of the reasons that when president, when Richard Nixon was president, that, that, that it was lowered and there was a constitutional amendment uh, was uh, the Vietnam war. And people said old enough to fight old enough to vote, you know, and it was, and there was a lot of pressure on, on the courts and legislators there to lower it. Um, I'm not sure, though, if it if it led to the progressive kind of swell of voting that people had hoped it would, or some people had hoped it would in the U.S. Certainly, maybe it did here. I, I'm not sure. Uh, although I guess it, Pierre Trudeau was was the prime minister when uh, when it was lowered to 18 
from 21 and and he stayed in power almost solidly for the next uh, 14 years after that except for a nine-month kind of period when the Tories were in power so I guess you could argue that it was good for a progressive party in this country um but I, I young people don't vote and frankly that's why it's an, I don't know why they don't vote uh, maybe they don't find politicians that uh compelling or the messages that compelling I wish they did vote it'd be good we'd have a better society if more people voted but uh there's a reason that political parties don't spend a lot of time courting the youth vote because they just don't they, they don't show up in, in, in droves at the polls um al just curious on your take on that because one are would you be supportive of this but two one of the big you know criticisms of is people say well they don't vote and frankly it's just politically advantageous for the ndp and the liberals who tend to get some young, more younger voters than let's say the conservatives um which but, is which is what it yeah. is it's 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 all about you know where, where do we get votes from and you know where can we carve into uh, a voting audience, and obviously they've done some some research that indicates, yeah, younger voters could vote uh, potentially for NDP, or or other parties may have something similar. I don't know. I, I don't have any uh, issue with uh, going younger to like sixteen. I never really have. The people that I talk to that are that age, they're smart, they're informed, um, they can be apathetic, and and maybe for me, that's kind of where everybody needs to go is is the question of why don't people vote and what do you do to as a, as a party to to try and get those people to get more engaged and you know get them to vote it's it's not an easy thing to unravel but uh, I, I'm more of that in this conversation about you know how do you get people that are apathetic how do you, how do you get them interested in voting period demographically or not like whatever the demographic is it's that's kind of where it is for me is is you know what do you do to get somebody interested in in canadian politics and uh it's it's correct a younger demographic seem to be less and less uh interested in that so the conversations don't go that far but obviously it, it this is a, a conversation piece with the federal ndp where they see something in that to get votes essentially yeah, and I mean they all they all do this, right? But I don't. For me, maybe this is me being naive and a little like rosy glasses wearer or whatever. My kind of thought right. was like maybe if we start, they start voting, even if it's a fraction of them, um, they would be more likely to engage. I don't know. Like when I grew up, my dad was very like voting is a privilege and you must vote, and I've never missed voting. And obviously, I'm a political dweeb um, that pays really close attention to this stuff. Like even. Here in Ontario, there's a provincial election going on, and uh, I went to I was with my at the gym really early with my trainer on Thursday, and she was like, "Hey, is there something happening like an election? Because there's I see some signs, and in my head I'm like, I am such a weirdo that my world has been revolving around this election for months, and this person has just realized it. So my hope was like maybe Rob, if if we start people younger, like maybe we get five more percent of people in the long run, um, even if they are, I don't know, like perhaps like my kind of thought is maybe that's a better way to engage people. But am I just being am I just being naive? Oh, I, no, I think you're being uh, you're being uh, altruistic uh, and optimistic, <laughs> Amanda, as you always are. Uh, but oh. I, I, I think I think it would I think making it easier to vote would be better and more mm. efficient than lowering the voting age. I, I mean, I was talking to Greg Asenza, who's the chief elections officer in Ontario the other day about the upcoming election. And they've, Elections Ontario has done a lot of work on, on uh, accessibility. Uh, they have a, a really good new app that makes it easier to find out where you can vote. Uh, it's a free app you can download at the iPhone store at the, uh, and uh, at the Google Play store. And they have a, um, 
extended advanced polls, uh, 10 days instead of five days uh, for the June 2nd campaign here in Ontario. But they still don't, they still can't do electronic voting. So you still, if you could vote online, and, and Mr. Sanza and I talked about this, it's not there yet. They don't feel that it's secure enough. But you can pay your credit card and do all these things online. I still don't understand why you can't vote online. And if you could do that, I think then young people would, who are you know glued to their phones more than even we are uh, in, in our little world, uh, media, po political world, you guys. But I think that would be a helpful thing. And, I, and that would get people more engaged. And, if it, and just, just making it convenient to vote. Al, I got about a minute. Would you be pro online voting? I think like Rob, I think we have blockchain. I can do all my banking online. Like why can't I'm, I vote online? I'm totally like if there's a way to do it, you you might see some some quite dramatic differences in in voting. So I, I think that is definitely the route to go. And obviously we're not there yet, but boy, when that comes out, that that might just it potentially could change uh, political landscapes. So that's kind of where we are with that. Yeah, I, you see a lot of that, right? The debate around the changing political landscapes, even when we talk about um, proportional representation as opposed to, no, I'm getting super nerdy for those people at home, um, yeah. as opposed to first past the post, which we have um, in, in Canada. So, you know, uh, there's, I think there's a lot of, I think that's why we've seen lack of change, right? Is it's, it's the fear that it will change the composition of future parliaments. But, and I love the pomp and circumstance as much as it is of going into like the school gym or whatever and getting the pencil yeah. and writing it and you know it's just like it's a cool and when we have kids i want to take my kids with me to see that so um but at the same time i think we're better off as a democracy if more people can do it so uh it probably makes way more sense to get this online and i will hopefully maybe they'll just have a couple of those in-person voting places that i can i can still go to like the old-timey person that i am um but speaking of elections and politicians and political acts the prime minister this week if you missed it was accused of swearing in the house of commons again and it's not the first time are you outraged or is this all just overhyped that's next with the panel on free for all friday you're listening to free for all fridays with host amanda galbraith on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Happy Friday, and we're welcome back to the show. Um, Nick, our technical producer, does this, the music, by the way, the intros, and I love oldies, so like, love this song. <laughs> Makes yeah. me very happy. I'm dancing at home. <laughs> oh, anyway, it reminds me of growing up with my dad when he used to have parties and my mom. Anyway, uh, that voice you just heard is Al Farabee, morning show host on CFAX 1070, Victoria, BC. And we're also joined this week by Robert Benzie, Queen's Park Bureau Chief of the Toronto Star. Uh, now, this is the back end of the show, so we like to have a little bit of fun with our topics. Um, and this first one, uh, you know, is an interesting one. Uh, now, for true confession listeners, um, I swear like a trucker when I'm not live on air. It's just a, I've always done it. I grew up in politics and um, just, you know, sort of my modus operandi. Uh, but this week, the Prime Minister, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, um, reportedly was alleged to have dropped an F-bomb in the House of Commons. Now, he's been you know, criticized about this other unparliamentary language. This is inappropriate. They've checked the audio. No one can hear it distinctly, but many people were reported hearing him say it. When asked by a reporter about his alleged use of said profanity during question period, this is what he said. What is the nature of your thoughts, gentlemen, when you say you move your lips in a particular way? Now, what a weird thing. Oh, sorry. <laughs> what a weird thing to say, right? 
Um, now, what he's doing is he's actually responding in a similar way that his father, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, did in 1971 when he similarly designed, designed using a similar obscenity in Parliament. Here's Prime Minister, older Prime Minister Trudeau, senior. What is the nature of your thoughts, gentlemen, when you say fuddle-duddle or something like that? Um, now, I guess you, I hear you, Al. So are you yeah. offended by this or is, you know, the PM having a moment and talking how real people talk, which includes myself? Well, isn't this funny? Because just like the week before here in B.C. at the B.C. legislature, B.C. Premier John Horgan did something very similar. They were doing a, a very heated debate with the opposition liberals and Green Party about the shortage of family doctors when he looked across the floor and said, oh, F, you know the rest. <laughs> and <laughs> laugh, but that's great. And that got a lot of traction. I even uh, talked about it with him uh, a couple of days after. He was apologetic about it, kind of felt bad. He's, I think the, the tweet from him was, uh, I think if my mom was was still around, she'd wash my mouth up with Irish Spring soap. So I asked him what the Irish Spring soap tastes like. But anyway, it, 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 I just found that's interesting. It's like that happened here in BC. And then a week later, it happened on Parliament Hill with the Prime Minister. And then the traction that you get, at, that's, the, that's the cynic in me. You see, you see the, the extra traction about, look at these guys. Look at these bad boys with F-bombs. Is it, is it that or is it just an honest mistake by a politician? Rob, what do you think? Honest mistake or are they uh, bad behaviors and they need their mouths washed out with soap? I don't know. Human beings are human beings, Amanda. And, and Al Tao's point, I mean, we... You work in a newspaper, you are you may hear <laughs> salty language. It's like a political campaign. You hear yeah. people expressing themselves colorfully because they are under a lot of pressure and sometimes it's a it's a release valve and it it, it is a it is a, a, a glorious way to release your stress without actually causing any uh, any physical harm to anyone. Um, did did Trudeau say the F word that we can't even say on the air? I mean, but it's I, 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 I wouldn't be surprised if he did. And I'm, and I'm not, I don't think less of them or, or think more of them for doing that. I think uh, politicians are human beings. I've heard lots and lots of politicians, including a few prime ministers uh, in private moments, uh, use words that they wouldn't use in front of a microphone or in the commons or in the legislature uh, at Queen's Park. So, I mean, that's who people are. Like, it's just, I think the pearl clutching about it is weird, though, because we live in a time when you turn on the TV and H every HBO show has F-bombs all over it. Uh, all, a lot of pop music does. It's just, it's a little bit, um, I guess, precious that we're all so shocked by this. You know what I mean? I think, I think, <laughs> yeah. I just, I, I, I mean, Trudeau's a human being. If he said the F word, and I thought it was, I actually thought it was amusing that he uh, harkened back to his dad's famous use of that, may have possible use of that in back in, uh, in uh, 50 years ago. Yeah, there was some um, former cabinet minister actually tweeted like, "This is why less people join politics." And I'm like, I'm not really sure. I like, I think that is just a bit above me. Do I think people should be, you know, swearing in the House of Commons? Just like I don't swear when no, I'm on air. No, they shouldn't. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they shouldn't be. But like at the end of the day, we all swear. Like I swear all like. There's nothing that, to teach you how much you swear than to be around it. Like my nieces, my six and eight year or eight and ten year old nieces, and I'm like, oh no, I. <laughs> I can't talk around them. Um, this next topic I wanted to get to um, and, and have a little bit of fun, but also obviously we haven't talked about it yet on the show. Um, you know, family, teammates, and hockey fans honored and remembered Montreal Canadiens legend Guy Lafleur 
at a national funeral this week on Tuesday. Um, Lafleur died on April 22nd. Uh, he was 70 years old and is obviously uh, the Canadians' all-time leading scorer. He won five Stanley Cups. Is a pretty pivotal, um, you know, public figure in Canada. There was national mourning, and it got us thinking about sports heroes and who's your big sports hero. Uh, for me, um, growing up, I kind of was split between, I loved Roberto Alomar as a kid because the Jays were on that, you know, crazy, um, you know, championship run. My grandma was a big fan, so we would watch together. And then I also really loved, um, Barry Sanders. Uh, yes, if those folks, I grew up in Windsor. We used to go see Detroit Lions games. So I'm a lifelong Lions fan, much to my personal chagrin, but watching Barry Sanders sort of dart with the ball down the field and kind of do those famous moves, um, was one of the biggest things that got me involved and in, interested in football. So those are kind of two people that meant a lot to me. Um, maybe you, Al, do you have a sports hero or somebody that was pretty seminal as you grew up? Well, it's, it's interesting because uh, as somebody that grew up in the seventies and I'm a West coast guy, but still uh, it was Guy Lafleur, like before Gretzky, it was Guy Lafleur. Like when we played like road hockey and just say, who are you going to be? Who are you going to be? Everybody wanted to be Guy Lafleur. I remember that. And I remember too, I mean, this is me just like uh, collecting hockey cards. And I thought, man, I still think, and I looked, I had actually a collection of hockey cards from the seventies and I pulled out Guy Lafleur. I can still like taste that pink gum wow. that you had with with it too so that i mean there's others like michael jordan etc but uh, but growing up gila fleur was the guy for us rob about a minute left to you who's your uh who's your sports hero well i grew up as a leaf fan so which is why i hate hockey uh now <laughs> so it's like i hate uh, football <laughs> <laughs> Boria Salming was my favorite uh, Leaf growing up, and I and he, he was he was I don't know if he was my hero per se, but he was my favorite Leaf. And but my favorite probably sports hero. Uh, I'm a Green Bay Packers fan. Sorry, Amanda. I know just That's like okay. you're better, like your better half. I know. Um, and yeah. uh, I, uh, so I, I I like I'm looking at a statue of I have a sculpture. A friend of mine gave me a small one of uh, of Brett Favre, number four, the great Packers quarterback. Uh, I wouldn't say he's my hero because his off-field antics kind of were problematic, but he certainly gave me a lot of thrills watching him uh, on the field, especially when he played the Lions. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. You guys are... Sorry. Anyway. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. That's all right. As you noted, I live with it. My partner is a, is a Packers fan, so we go... We used to go uh, pre-COVID uh, every Christmas or New Year's and watch the Packers-Lions game, which inevitably the Packers would beat the Lions, uh, which is fine. We're used to it. One day, someday, they will rebuild. Hopefully, um, you know, maybe like the Leafs, right? The Leafs are on the road, so we wish them well in this process. Uh, thank you so much, Al and Rob, for the debate, for your thoughts, for coming on the show this week. It's always a blast to do that and a blast to hear from all you back home at Text who are listening. Uh, we read your texts every day, and if I don't get to answer all of them, I do appreciate it. Thank you to Nick and producer Sam for being behind the scenes and giving me all the info. And thank you for listening. I'm Amanda Galbraith. I will see you next Friday. Boston 4, Montreal 3. Lafleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into Lemaire. Back to Lafleur. Oh!